Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sex, Love, and Addiction. I'm introducing a friend and a colleague today, Kristen Minto-Snowden. Welcome, Kristen. Hi. Hi. Um, I want to tell you guys that I have worked with Kristen. We ran a treatment program together for a number of years, and uh, I had, and it was such a pleasure because um, when I'm training therapists and working with therapists, I often find... You know, it's difficult to work with sexual issues. It's difficult to work with intimacy issues. It's different, difficult to work with broken hearts and families. And I just found Kristen, and I really mean this to be such a light and such a delight and such an incredibly clever, smart, intuitive therapist that I have done my best to try to support her ever since. And um, so Kristen has returned the favor by doing a weekly webinar. Are you doing a webinar or a drop-in group? Uh, it's a live webinar and it's bi-monthly. So every other month, Kristen shows up on sexandrelationshiphealing.com and talks about how to improve relationships, how to improve, uh, how to make relationships more loving, more sensual, more connected, more alive. And I'm so grateful for that. Thank you, Kristen. And let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, Kristen has specialized experience. And first of all, Kristen is a licensed marriage and family therapist in California. She has uh, really spent a a career specializing in difficult issues like uh, addiction, depression, anxiety, trauma, loss, and relationship challenges like infidelity. Kristen is in private practice. She is an adjunct therapist and educator at Avalon Malibu, which is a treatment center out here. And she and I worked at one time for Promises Malibu, which is where we developed a sex and uh, substance abuse program, an intimacy and substance abuse program. That was that was amazing. I thought. I um, Kristen has been. I'm glad you think so too. Thank you. <laughs> Kristen has spent years working with people of all ages, races, religions, social, sexual orientations, etc. And she's also trained under some amazing people, like Dr. Christine Courtois in the area of trauma, uh, myself in the area of general addiction, Pam Peak in the area of food addiction, Dr. Carnes and Ken Adams in terms of family enmeshment and attachment disorders. She's worked with Harville Hendricks, Margo Therapy, John Gottman's Couple Therapy, a PMLD's codependency. Ooh, I don't like that word. And Brene Brown's PhD on vulnerability, shame, and guilt. Because you know I'm all about pro-dependence, right, Kristen? So in any case, we'll tell you how to reach Kristen later, but I am just so glad she's willing to talk with us. And here is a I, just to say it for all of you, a really lovely young woman with two beautiful children who's two or three, you're three? 
Three. Three beautiful children and an amazing husband. And you would walk by her in a mall and you would never imagine that this woman works with addicts and people with sexual problems and mental illness because she's just such a lovely person. And you know, you, you think that we're kind of tough and those of us who do that work, but but Kristen is just kind of a light, a, a, a bright light in my life. So anyway, welcome, Kristen. It is a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you asking me to be on. So Kristen, um, what did you think when I invited you on this podcast? Um, more of the same uh, excited, but out of my comfort zone feelings. Um, the same thing I experience every time I prepare for one of those live webinars, mm. but I am trying to do hard things. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I imagine being up in a list where there's a lot of experts speaking makes you feel, well, it would make me feel like, well, maybe I'm not that kind of an expert or maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't have all those books out like those people, but I have seen you in the trenches and, uh, you know, I've seen you stand up to some of the hardest clients and just say, I care about you, but that's not okay. Or I care about you. And I'm so, you know, I've seen you really get in there and hold people's hand and help them out of darkness. And so uh, I think you belong on this stage. Tell me a little bit about your work is not just with sex addiction, right? It's, it's gone beyond that and almost to other stages of couples work. Can you talk a little bit about maybe how you got there and why it's important to you and what you do? I started working in uh, addiction in general when I was at a psychiatric hospital, an inpatient psychiatric hospital. So I'd get clients or patients who were trying to do a medical detox, kind of begin to prepare to commence to start finding recovery. Um, and that's where I first generally was exposed to the 12-step model um, and understanding the dynamics, the multifaceted dynamics of addiction. And then lo and behold, um, this man named Rob Weiss, Dr. Rob Weiss now, decided he'd take a chance on me and hire me on to his new kind of first in the world program, a dual diagnosis program focusing on sex and drug addiction. And I am extremely grateful that you did because that opened my eyes to a whole world of approaching everything from approaching people who are struggling with an active addiction, their families and loved ones. And then not only that, but I found so much of what I learned from those different intimacy disorders, attachment disorder models can apply to just even the higher functioning people that you find in outpatient care, in private practices, people struggling with a single incidence of infidelity from divorce, from betrayal. And I, I'm, I'm hooked. I, I love this type of work. I am grateful every day that I get to do this type of work. And um, I attribute a, a, a lot of my success to you being willing to take a chance on me and mentor me during those years of promises. Well, you're very kind, and I really appreciate that. You know, it's hard for anyone who is in recovery like myself to take compliments as hard as we work to get them. So I will take that because I'm very proud of you, and I really like you, and I like the work that you do. But what I'm really curious about is, you know, you talked about um, learning a lot about relationships through watching some of the struggles that our clients had. And I think that you personally without talking about your personal life in any detail, but you reached some different conclusions about your own, you know, how you wanted to be in a relationship and what would or wouldn't be acceptable to you. And, and I'm wondering like what you saw in the work that was applicable to your, to you that made you more, I don't know, what made you a better partner, a better 
uh, mom, a better part of your family because you learned the things you learned in the work that we do, even though you're not a sex addict and you're not a love addict, you know, those aren't your issues. But I, it seems like you went some, through some profound changes in the process of, and by the way, folks, this happens when therapists do certain kinds of work, we grow too. <laughs> and, um, and I've just seen you grow so much. So I guess I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what you got from the work that helped you grow. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite stories. Okay, <laughs> Which is that, you know, I, I'm pretty open about um, some details of my personal experience. But basically, when I found myself running the men's drug and sex addiction program, I was in my own personal uh, strife. I had some very, very serious marital issues and crises going on in my personal life while I was also kind of showing up to work every day and trying to be the best therapist I could be uh, for my clients. And I remember there's just these poignant moments in life um, when I was there trying to help others, but also being in my own state of struggle and confusion. One of the more poignant moments was part of the curriculum that you had us doing was the Brene Brown shame guilt kind of model of understanding the difference between shame and guilt. And I would have the clients listen to this model, you know, their, her TED talks and understanding her material and vulnerability, et cetera. And I would, you know, kind of almost behaviorally be able to teach it for months and months before actually the material began to make an impact on me, on kind of intrinsically my soul, my, my spirituality, where I realized that I was completely drowning in shame that I was struggling with vulnerability. And I just was able to further connect with the fact that we learn all this stuff. I don't know. We learn all these concepts of, you know, let's say the 12 step model. So many people initially learn the 12 step model in like a legalistic kind of, these are the behaviors you're supposed to do. These are the things you are supposed to do. So act this way. Well, it's kind of like the Bible. You know, we kind of learn, some people teach it that way. Absolutely. And and yeah, that, that came into it too, because I think I was a very concrete, black and white observer of this world. And so it was like, oh, you do good deeds because that'll cancel out the crappy things that you do in life. <laughs> you, um, you know, you work really hard to puff out your chest in this way to exert these fabulous things about yourself to, to hide the fact that you really, really struggle in these areas. That, that is, there's a name for that, by the way. I just want to say it for everybody, not calling you out, but um, it's called narcissistic defense. When you try to hold on to the positive things and keep working on the positive, because you just have to keep getting that reflection of what you're doing right, because you feel so empty inside or feel like you're not doing it right on the inside. And, uh, and until you resolve that inside part and fill that in, you're going to be running around saying, did I do good enough? Did I do good enough? Was this good? Was this good? Until everyone else is tired of hearing it. <laughs> Absolutely. The constant like hustling for your worthiness because you have that voice tapping away at your, the inside of your soul saying, mm, maybe you're not that great. And so I was strongly impacted by just the regular work around the 12 steps and kind of, I guess it was like through osmosis, right? It was seeing it, watching others be transformed by it, contemplating it myself and how it could apply to my life, learning more and having a better language of these things that you talked about a lot, lying, manipulation, 
gaslighting, shame, vulnerability, all these things that were just frankly words to me that I could explain the definition of and I could could get the concepts out in a very understandable way, but they weren't penetrating me. They weren't making a, a change in me. Now, I have to say, and I, I really don't, you know, I am and, and purposely not being too detailed about your personal life because you're a therapist and it's nobody's business. And But I do know that when I look at you on Facebook today, because <laughs> um, we're friends on Facebook, and I see your beautiful children, and I see your husband and you going on vacations and doing fun things, and I think, wow, something happened to her that made her understand how important to her really making this work would be, making this thing work, this parenting, this relationship, the thing you were in. And it, it came through, it sounds like your own personal growth that you found the strength in your relationship or the strength to heal your relationship. Yeah. And here's a good question that might be helpful in this way too. I know a lot of folks who aren't so happy about their relationships are often pointing the finger at their partner and saying, they're not this and they're not that, and they're not this and they're not that. How have you been able to kind of put that finger away? In other words, how can you ask for what you want in a relationship? Say, I need you to do this. I need you to be like that. I need you. And share your disappointments when the person does or doesn't do that. But also be accepting of the fact that he isn't you. He isn't perfect. He's going to miss things. He's got his own problems. Like, how did you become, I I, I want to understand you better (laughs) because I think you serve as a model. And, you know, when you, you said, when we started working together, you were confused about relationships. You were very black and white. You weren't clear. You were kind of angry. You know, now you seem much more at peace. And not only around yourself, but about being a mom, being a you know, being a wife, all of that. Is it just practicing and staying with it and being more present with him? Is it like what clues can you give to our partners who are struggling right now, saying, "I don't know if I can make this work. I don't know if I can ever be happy with this person. I don't know if I can ever find the good in this person or us together." Like, how do you put down all of your own stuff and begin to look at that person more neutrally? How? Um, I guess. It's not that I, I feel like it, I didn't do it personally. It was more of like a survival instinct when you're faced with deep humiliation and pain and suffering. You know, I, I always find, I always joke that if I get a chance to go to heaven and, and ask God a question, it will be why, why does the human state seem to ch- only change and become more complex and often better in a state of extreme discomfort. In other words, why do we grow? Why are we most likely to grow when we're in pain and want to get out of it than just because we want to be a better person or it's time to grow? We seem right. to only grow out of, and it's true. And I want to say that for everybody out there, you know, when I'm working with addicts and, you know, people often say, well, why don't they just see what's in front of them? They've got this loving family. They've got these people. They've got, you know, all these things going on. Why don't they just put down the drugs, the alcohol, whatever it is, and understand how good a life they have? And, uh, oh, if only they could. Right, exactly. And and tell everybody why they can't. What What is wrong with their vision? What is wrong with their insight? What What are, what are you thinking? I, I know. I When I get a new client or a new family or a new situation, that's one of the first things I look for is, are they in enough discomfort that they are ready and willing to to change, to kind of lean into it and go, this clearly is not working for me. Things and circumstances and my choices need to change. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love and addiction podcast. 
Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com. Or call us at 747-234-4325. You know, I'm thinking, Kristen, that you have learned and and you're teaching us that... um, that there's a lot of vulnerability involved in healing a relationship. Like it's easy on some level, as hard as it feels to stand back and point your finger at yell and yell at your partner. I think I did a little yelling this weekend. Uh, I've been getting very far, but I think I did a little of that. I mean, cause you know, we do it. Um, but that's not really what where the healing, that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about something else, about a different way of looking at relationships and making them work than simply saying, you're not meeting my needs and I'm angry at you. And yeah, I just want to know more. I mean, in my state of humiliation and humbleness and pain and suffering was the state that I realized I'm no better and no worse than anybody else. I mean, this change began, one of the stories I I tell is my struggles and crisis began when I was first at the psych hospital. I mean, this spanned over a few years. And I think I, I definitely had a narcissistic defense to everything, right? So hold on one second. At the psych hospital, just want to be clear, as a therapist, you weren't there. As oh a yeah, person. I'm sorry. Right, right. My my struggles first began when I was treating um, clients in crisis at a psychiatric hospital, and I do believe that my personality airs on defensive. A narcissistic defensiveness. You know, Brene Brown says when you're you're faced with shame and vulnerability, you either like puff up your chest and pretend you're bigger than you are, or you shrink down and are less than and kind of pull out. Collapse. Mm-hmm. I'm a, pu- a chest puffer outer. That's just I'm a chest puffer outer. By that's how I tend to approach things, and so I I needed a heavy dose of humiliation and kind of pain and, and struggle to just realize that I well, you didn't need I mean no one needs pain and humiliation, but it was in your pain and humiliation that you decided you didn't want to feel that way anymore. I you know, it's interesting that you correct that because Well I just I wouldn't want anyone to say I needed humiliation because especially in the Me Too era, it sounds I have to say I watched uh, surviving R. Kelly all weekend. So the idea of humiliation and that word just has a totally different meaning to me right now. And I think I'm defensive of it. But I think what you're saying is you had to be in enough pain to realize what you had, what you should appreciate, what you uh, that you weren't that important, that there were bigger things. Like Yeah, I needed to be in a pain and discomfort to to break down my defenses, right? If, if my defense is kind of always like, well, Kristen, you're smart. So that's why you don't have to deal with your um, shortcomings or you're helping other people. So then you don't have to deal with the fact that you do really crappy things sometimes to other people. You know, you give to charity. Then therefore you're not, you know, all these things I thought were going to be. Soul saving. Yeah. Soul saving. One good deed would cancel out the other, et cetera. Um, that th- that's kind of how I feel like it was a really quick, almost like boot camp way to personality and soul change. So, I mean, the, the saying that I, I said in retrospect when I was working at the, the psychiatric hospital and I came to the terms is, is like, 
I, the only difference between me and these clients that are dealing with deep crisis and deep despair is that I have the keys. Well, I would give you one more. And I think this is true about you and many of the people who will work with Kristen is that our strengths can become our weaknesses in a sense. The fact that you may be particularly smart and insightful, the fact that you may have been successful in life, you know, that all of those things make it easier to say, well, I'm not really, I'm really doing okay. My life isn't that bad. I've really got it together. And so when you are smart and insightful and able to think your way around things, sometimes we can think our way into the problem. <laughs> you know, I work with a lot of addicts and I have to say when I work with a man who's, you know, really attractive and really successful and really charming, I'm like, dude, you got three things against you. You're successful, you're attractive, and you're charming. And all those things are going to work against you're having the humility and the grace to understand that you may not come first, your needs don't come first, and you have to be a part of the party like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember you and I would talk about because we would have kind of high-end clients that had some limitless financial resources. And you would say, look, these clients, their rock bottom is not going to be a homeless man under the freeway. I mean, that's not what their rock bottom is going to look like. And I think... Uh, I I think I finally realized that through my own crisis is that we want to think rock bottom means, you know, no money, no friends, no loved ones, lost your job, everything that doesn't necessarily need to be everyone's rock bottom. And spirituality, I have a feeling has a piece of this for you, because I also know that you're very involved spiritually now, maybe in ways that you weren't before. And I'm just curious about that piece in a, in a sort of broad way. I, I was... Born in a large uh, Christian environment, I call it now in retrospect, I kind of call it like cash and prizes Christianity, because again, I had a stronger focus on behaviors, and I thought the behaviors were going to create soul and spiritual change, or I thought that the behaviors made me good enough. I didn't really get, you know, so again, I would be good. I would tithe. I would attend church. I would work in Christian ministries because if I had to be totally honest, my heart was there. It's that I truly had an intention to love and and help others. But there was this part of me in the back of my head that was like, hopefully this makes up for the ways that I suck. (laughs) You're paying, you're paying the bill for your emotion. But now you now, and I want to really clearly restate what the way you're looking at life now. And I think I got this, which is you are not looking to say, I am always one down one under one less than in every situation. Cause I don't feel good about myself and therefore I've got to puff myself up or make my, my needs the focus or what you're saying is I already now get that I'm imperfect and okay. And I don't need to defend or protect, or I can just be in the world and do the things I do and not do them so that I can feel better about myself, but do them because I think they're the right thing to do. Yeah. I, I start with the state that I am perfectly imperfect and and everyone is in that same state of struggle as I am. All those around us are. Um, and we're looking for, you know, as I, as the rooms say, we have this God-shaped wound in us where we're all looking to be loved in spite of our flaws. And so when I am with clients, when I am in my personal relationships, I try to keep in mind the fact that I am always doing my best, but I will fall short. 
And, and I want to be loved in spite of that. And so I try to do my best to love others in that state as well. And how has that affected your marriage? How has it affected how you look at your husband? Because that's going to be a big question for, you know, when you shift your thinking from, if I have the kids and have the house look good and everybody's happy and, you know, my husband's feeling good and I'm feeling good and we're going to church on Sunday and that means we're good people. If you move from that sort of do the deed and then you get the reward way of looking at it to where you're at, how, what is the change in how you look at your partner? Yeah, that's exactly how I would view it previously is these behavioral things, these, this grocery list of things that I'm supposed to do a quid pro quo kind of situation. And now, I don't know, I guess I just kind of view it as, am, am I owning the way that I've fallen short? Am I um, being open and honest about myself all the time? And am I just as tolerant of him? Am I showing similar tolerance to him and his shortcomings that I would hope to God that I would be shown? And I, I try that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't always succeed, but um, that that's my starting point. It sounds like you're looking not just for what meets your needs the best or what needs his needs the best, but, but really in your decisions, what is the best for my family? What is the best for both of us? You're looking at a larger, larger unit than just uh, what you think and what you feel. Right. And then obviously when you have a spirituality of a higher power, you also try to look at it from a, a universal kind of worldly view too, is that when you believe in this higher power that you're not the one in control, this higher power is the one in control. So Kristen, what we, when we were, you've specialized in psychiatric cases in the psychiatric hospital, you've clearly continue to focus and work on addiction work, um, both in a treatment center and on your own. What kind of work with clients do you feel is the most rewarding? What makes you the happiest um, when you see the something change or move forward? Is there a particular client you like, or is there a particular kind of work that you think you do better than others? I have to say, without a doubt, my most favorite thing to do is run groups. Because I... I'm a deep believer that we kind of, when we clear out our shame and our, ins, uh, our our shame and our other like defenses, we have amazing natural instincts. And when someone is sitting in the safety of a group in a therapeutic milieu, that's where the real magic happens. The human connection, the sharing of observations, kind of seeing what someone might not be able to see right in front of their face, but someone observing being it. Witnessed. Yes, being exactly. Um, and there's just so much more insight and and growth that I think occurs in in a group setting, and I love being a part of that dynamic. And are there? Do you prefer to do women's groups, men's groups, uh, addiction groups, or just any kind of group is where you really see the healing take place? All the above. What I think you know, everybody should know is that um, in most of the work that I do, I have a huge focus on group. And uh, you know, if you ask me about my spirituality, I, I know that it lies somewhere between me and the next person because it's in between us that the healing takes place. When I turn to you and you turn to me and we are seeking to be better people, we will become better people simply because we're together and that's what we seek. And thank you, Kristen, for carrying out that belief system. So um, how is it running these online groups on sex and relationship healing? Have you had any interesting people, or people asking you questions? Are they showing up? And you're not, a, you're not talking about sex addiction. What, what are you talking about? 
Um, I've always stated um, that one of my predominant goals is to speak to the people just under the radar, because I feel like there's a lot of people out there who can kind of speak to those that are on the more extreme ends of the spectrum, you know, have obvious addictions, have obvious acting out behaviors, have obviously suffered negative consequences to them. But I feel a strong pull to kind of help people who are just under the radar. So they appear to be very high functioning. Their marriages and relationships are, you know, they're just fine. And and there's no obvious red flags to just kind of point out and say, this is going to be the downfall of me and, and this family. Um, I have a huge passion to kind of bring language and education and kind of, I guess, stir up a higher sense of awareness and consciousness to help them through what's going on with them. What would you say to the person who's listening to you and saying, yeah, I, I get that I have my own stuff and I want to get out of, out from under it, but I'm just so angry at him or her. And really he, he or she has been the pain in my side, the thorn the, the, you know, and I can point to what they did. So it's not like it's just in my head. Why should I look at myself? Um, now, you know, in pro-dependence, we would say, wait and look at yourself after the crisis has passed. But even after the crisis has passed, how do you get someone to move from having, feeling like they have caused my problem or they are the source of our, our problem as a couple to who, where you are? How does someone make, make, is it the pain of being betrayed that might make someone look at themselves more? Because I think the pain of betrayal makes partners often say, you think I'm a problem? Look at what he or she did. <laughs> so how do you get people to move who have been wounded and injured from they're the problem to our, our growth as a couple is really the goal? I guess what I hear in that is, is how do you lower someone's defensiveness and and help them with shame resilience enough so that they can kind of see what's always there which is that we we are all very imperfect and so we're going to fall short at many different intervals of this relationship well that's nice but he cheated on me so i didn't cheat on him so I may have faults, but... I, I learned a long time ago that our society really loves to create a hierarchy to a pain, um, a victimhood, of, of sins, whatever your word is. And I loved that too. I, I hung on to that hierarchy because it was proof every day that I'm not as bad, quote unquote, as bad as so-and-so or this or that. And so it was just another defense mechanism to, to help me feel like I was enough. So somebody does need to feel the pain of having been wounded, but they can't dwell in it as being the entire source of their unhappiness. Yeah. I, I had a, another kind of profound moment I had when I was working in treatment is I was talking to someone who was staffed there and he'd been running a 12-step recovery program for several years. Um, I think it was for drug and, and sexual issues. And you know, so I'm sitting there in my own pain of like victimhood, right? How I, I was lied to and manipulated and so harmed in my own personal struggles. And, and he said, well, Kristen, what's your part in this? And I just like gasped of just my part. Like 
How, yeah, and I and I felt that strong, like righteous indignation that I can completely that resonates with me, and I can understand so much when people are in that state because there's just so much pain. And and he said, "Well, let me just give you an example. Let me work backward from you to help you with this." And he said, "When my mom, you know, was on top of me with her knee in my chest, shoving ADHD medication down my throat, I was definitely a victim." That was not okay that she did that to me. But let me tell you about the events that led up to that is I um, got kicked out of school for getting in a fight. I knocked down every trash can on the street that past week. I called her every cuss word I could come up with in the several weeks leading up to that. So what I'm trying to say, Kristen, is when you were victimized, nothing makes that okay. Nothing ever, ever, ever makes that okay. But I can tell you something that will liberate you from this victimhood. And it's to take a step back, to have the strength and compassion to take a step back and own where you may have fallen short. And that's scary. But I, I remember that that was a moment where I could just release the anger it was like in owning my vulnerability and owning my imperfections, it was liberation from that righteous indignation. It also allows you to reach inside and say, what I'm really feeling is pain, not anger. What I'm really feeling is pain, which almost always is what's underlying anger is fear and pain. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Kristen Snowden. I love this woman. Tell us, Kristen, how can clients or potential people reach you if they want to get your sage wisdom or if they're in California and they want to see you for treatment? Uh, how would they do that? Um, well, I am on Rob's Sex and Relationship Healing uh, live webinar stream. So the first and third Wednesdays of every month at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time, um, I am there trying to just give basic education and discussion and Q&As on how to develop more healthy dynamics, communication, education, et cetera. Um, so that's one way. Do you have a website or a place? Or I know you have some YouTube videos too. So Oh, yeah, yeah. So I have a website. It's um, Kristen Snowden, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, snowden.com. Um, and there you can also access my YouTube channel, post a lot of these live webinars, and I also have some additional videos. Um, because, I, again, I feel like education and providing a language to these struggles is, is paramount to finding recovery and healing. And I hope, Kristen, for everyone who's listened, that it's valuable that you, like me, you know, we've been through our own pain and we don't come to this as the perfect therapist with microscopes looking at your problem like it's a bacteria. You know, that's one of the gifts about being, I think, a good therapist is our own awareness of these issues in ourselves and our own compassion for you. And, and you really demonstrate that, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. 
I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.